Dr. Bud? Yes. You probably don't remember me, but uh, you told me I wasn't sick. Do you remember? You told me I was just getting old. I'm sorry, I really don't remember. Maybe you're getting old. <laughs> That's a little joke. Well, I tell you, Dr. Bud, I'm really sick. Oh, well, I'm sorry about that. Well, I'm glad. At least I know I have something. I'm sure. Well, nice seeing you. Not so fast. There are some things I have to say. There are a lot of things that I have to say. Words can't express what I have to say. Dr. Bud, I came to you sick. Sick and scared. And you dismissed me. You made me feel crazy, like, like I had made it all up. You dismissed me. You made me feel like a child, a, a fool, a neurotic who was wasting your precious time. Is that your caring profession? Is that healing? No one deserves that kind of treatment, Dr. Bud. No one. You'd better start listening to your patients. They need to be heard. They need caring. They need compassion. They need attending to. You know, someday, Dr. Bud, you're going to be on the other side of the table. And as angry as I am, and as angry as I always will be, I still wish you a better doctor than you were to me. Do you want to finally feel and live well with a thyroid condition? Then I want to welcome you to the Thyroid Deep Dive Podcast. I'm your host, Mary Showman. It's time to dive in. I'd like to welcome you to the first episode of my new podcast, The Thyroid Deep Dive. And I also want to congratulate you because you're taking one of the most important and essential steps to help you feel and live well with a thyroid condition. You're educating yourself. There's no getting around the reality. For many of us, the healthcare system is broken and we're paying more than ever for it. And that's evident when we look at thyroid care in the United States. At least 20 million people have diagnosed thyroid conditions, and many of them still don't feel well. And it's estimated that as many as 20 million more people, mostly women, are walking around with thyroid symptoms who aren't even diagnosed yet. Are you wondering why? I'll be looking at these issues in upcoming episodes of the podcast. Then there are thyroid treatments. Sometimes they work perfectly as advertised, and frequently they leave you still feeling exhausted, depressed, and anxious, brain fogged, and gaining weight. You're struggling. And when you tell your doctors, many of you are told that it's in your head, or it's normal at your age, or it's just your hormones, dear, or my favorite, you have fork in mouth disease. Yeah, that's actually what one doctor told a woman with an undiagnosed thyroid condition who was gaining weight. The days of a family doctor you see for decades and unrushed visits to the doctor are gone for most of us. Instead, we get seven-minute speed dates with our doctors where we rush through all our symptoms and questions and barely get to discuss treatments or options. The clock is tick, tick, ticking, and the doctor is tapping away on a keyboard, only half listening. Big surprise. For many of us, this is not working. It's time to apply some common sense. I mean, really. If your toilet is clogged, you call a plumber. But would you keep calling back the same plumber, much less paying him or her, if every time they claim to have fixed the toilet, it's still clogged and the plumber can't even explain why? Or better yet, the plumber tells you that living with a permanently clogged toilet is your new normal. No, you'd start asking around, you'd do your research, and you'd find a plumber who can finally fix it for you. That is what the Thyroid Deep Dive podcast is all about. Because you can't ask about options if you don't even know they exist. You can't ask about treatments if you've never even heard about them. 
You can't challenge the status quo if you don't know what it even is when it comes to your thyroid care. How can you troubleshoot your medications if you don't even know what's in them? How can you ask about tests if you've never heard about them or you don't understand what your results mean? How can you choose the right kind of practitioner for you if you don't know what you need? How can you feel and live well with a thyroid condition if you don't even know that it's possible? My podcast is all about laying out those possibilities for you. I have my own story. I was diagnosed with Hashimoto's hypothyroidism in 1995, and it took years of struggling to find the right treatments. I've shared my own experiences as well as the real-life stories of thousands of thyroid patients in my books and advocacy efforts for almost a quarter century. I've also heard from thyroid patients every single day day for almost three decades, in person, by mail, during coaching and workshops, on the phone, and on social media. I know their stories inside out. I've heard from patients whose experiences made me cry, left me enraged, and the stories that gave me hope and made every minute of what I do worthwhile. And every story has made me more committed to my mission to fast forward you up the learning curve and get you to the best part of your story, the part where you feel well and live well with your thyroid condition. Whether you're new to a thyroid condition or you're an old hand, you're going to take away something new from every episode, ideas and information and advice you can put into immediate use. So in this episode, the first episode of the Thyroid Deep Dive, I wanted to put the spotlight on patience. You'll hear much more from these and other patients in future episodes, but I wanted to start the podcast by giving you some hope that wherever you are, it can get better. You can feel and live well. But here's the thing, you're going to have to do some homework and master your own advocacy skills. I know it doesn't seem fair. After all, you're not the doctor, right? But it's unavoidable. And just like they always recommend that you have a dive buddy, I'm here to help you. Consider me your dive buddy. So let's dive in together. This is episode one, Listen to the Patients. You may have symptoms for months or even years before you get properly diagnosed. And it doesn't seem to matter even if you're a health professional. Leona, a registered nurse in Oklahoma, described her experiences. I've been an RN since 1983 and worked in a variety of areas. So I have pretty extensive experience in nursing and in healthcare. But in 1993, towards the end of the year, I started having issues with seasonal allergies, which I had never had before. I was at that time in my 40s. And just weird things, yeast infections, allergies, sinus infections, just feeling tired. I would be standing in line at Hobby Lobby or something and I would feel like my heart was racing or I was going to pass out. And I thought, oh my gosh, am I just going to pass out amongst all these strangers and nobody's going to know? And I had not had problems before and I, I'm not a very panicky person. And so that really worried me. But every time I would go to my doctor, he would treat me for the current issue. At one point, you know, when I was talking about kind of the panicky feeling, he was talking about antidepressants mm -hmm. and utilizing those. And I was like, no, I am not depressed. In fact, I was happily married and with kids. And honestly, I was fine. And I was like, no. In the summer of 1994, I was at my sister-in-law's in New York and we were eating steak and I choked a piece of meat. I had been having difficulty swallowing 
but I Mm -hmm. honestly choked and someone there had to do the Heimlich maneuver on me. Thankfully, they knew that and it was able to dislodge the piece of steak and that really scared me then. When I got back, I went to my doctor and again, he's talking about antidepressants and stress and I'm like, no, there's something wrong. Now in all of this, I don't honestly have any idea why he didn't figure it out. He wasn't a new physician, but my hair was Mm -hmm. falling out. My eyebrows were non-existent at that point and I was Mm -hmm. gaining weight and he finally did a thyroid test and my TSH was really high. Can you believe that Leona had to have a near-death experience before her doctor was willing to test her thyroid? There's another issue, and that's when you do get tested, two things can still go wrong. First, many doctors rely only on the thyroid-stimulating hormone called the TSH test. They don't measure the actual thyroid hormone levels, so they end up missing borderline and subclinical thyroid problems and autoimmune Hashimoto's. I'll go into this much more in future episodes. But second, your TSH test result can fall within the so-called normal range. That's the range that's used by many doctors to identify a thyroid condition. We will hear a lot more from longtime patient advocate Leslie Blumenberg later in this episode. But like many patients and some practitioners, Leslie has a really great one-liner that she uses to dismiss this whole idea of normal. Well, normal is a setting on the clothes dryer, basically. (laughs) (laughs) So let's talk about normal. The CDC says that the official measurement for a fever is a temperature of 100.4 degrees or higher. So if your thermometer says 100.3 degrees, you are technically normal. You don't have a fever. Now, I don't know about you, but at 100.3, I am sick. And it's the same thing with the TSH range. The TSH range runs from around 0.5 to 5. And when you fall in the upper end of that so-called normal range, many doctors say your thyroid is normal. You can't see it, but I am making air quotes around the word normal. I have heard so many patients describe TSH levels that technically fall within the normal range, levels of 3.8, 4.2, 4.8, who struggled for months or years with thyroid symptoms until they were finally diagnosed. Here's Janice Burnham. She's a wife, mother of two sons, and a dental assistant in Iowa. I happened to read in a women's magazine, probably Good Housekeeping or one of those, Anyway, there was an article about a low thyroid and how doctors sometimes miss that and what the signs and symptoms were and everything. And everything I read pointed to me having that too. So I was like, wow, I found the answer right away. <laughs> and so I called my doctor and it said you needed a blood test and a doctor visit and everything. And I gained some weight. I was feeling cold and tired, you know, just sluggish, uh, mentally not doing as well as more forgetful than usual. And so I went to my doctor, and he kind of looked at me really skeptically, and he's like, I don't think you have that. You're too young for that, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I was 25 or 26 at the time, so I was on the young side. And I didn't have anybody in my family that had it, and so I really didn't know anything about it. So he said, well, we'll draw some blood and check, but I, I really don't think you have it. And that, then he kind of just tossed it off and then went. <laughs> mm-hmm. So then I got the blood test back, and, of course, he said it's all negative, but no, I don't have it. And I was like, Wow, I I swear I was sure I had this. Janice was, thankfully, eventually diagnosed with hypothyroidism. 
Ohio mom of four and medical scheduler Wendy Knight also struggled for years and saw multiple doctors before finally getting diagnosed. I found out when I was around 34 or 35, and my twin sister had it 10 years prior to me getting it. So I knew because as soon as I woke up, I was tired, so tired that I would have to lay down for another hour. And I gained like, I don't know, 10 or 20 pounds in a month. And I had been talking to my twin sister about it, and she said, it's exactly what happened to me. So I was taking four naps a day, and I went to the doctor, and I was sent for blood work, which, of course, it was within range because the range is so wide. It's from like 0.4 or 0.5 to 5, which is way too much. I tried to get an endocrinologist appointment, and no one would see me because they didn't think I had a reason. I went to three other doctors here in Ohio. I went to one in Michigan, and I went to, I think, three out in Arizona. And they all kept saying that I was within range and I did not need any medication. So that was over a period of like two and a half to three years. I finally went back to my family physician, and I was crying because I was so frustrated with the whole process. And I told him, my mother has it, my oldest sister has it, and my twin sister have it. And he said, we are not going to treat the numbers, we're going to treat the symptoms. So he put me on the lowest dose. And that worked for a couple of years, and I felt so much better. Wendy's story brings up a good point. If you have family members with thyroid disease, you are at a significantly higher risk of having a thyroid condition yourself. She was lucky that her last doctor knew that and finally took action. Diagnosis is just the start of what can be a difficult journey for many patients. Many of us end up on what I call the treatment merry-go-round with symptoms that don't go away or even get worse and a constant chase to find the right treatment. Meanwhile, we're pleading with doctors to run more tests or change our treatment and it sometimes can fall on deaf ears. Ginny Mahar is a busy wife and mom in Montana. She's also a patient advocate and co-founder of thyroid lifestyle website, thyroidrefresh.com. Ginny described her first few years as a thyroid patient. It was just a TSH test. That was all my doctor tested me for for four years. And it was TSH testing only. I was put on generic levothyroxine and I was tired all day every day for four years. And I think because I was tired, there's just that cascade of health issues that happens when your body doesn't have the energy it needs. So I was sick all the time. I had so many issues, Mary. I would get laryngitis for weeks at a time, which is difficult when you're like raising a two-year-old and you can't speak to them, you know? Yes. All kinds of different things I was dealing with, but at my annual checkups where my doctor would retest my TSH and assure me that my TSH was normal and I was on the right dosage of medication. I would mention, you know, I just don't feel like myself. I feel like my light is going out. I cannot lose weight to save my life. I'm tired all day, every day. Like, could this possibly have something to do with my thyroid? And I was assured, no, because your TSH level is normal. It has nothing to do with that. It's just the aging process. You're just a tired mom. 
Ginny's story brings up an important issue. It is far too common for women with undiagnosed thyroid problems to be told that their symptoms are due to aging or being a busy mom or being in menopause or simply written off as you're stressed, depressed, or PMSing. Award-winning documentary filmmaker and advocate Maggie Hadley-West depicted her own struggle for thyroid treatment in her documentary, Sick to Death. Here's Maggie describing the ups and downs of her thyroid treatment. When I first was diagnosed, I was diagnosed with Graves' disease. I drank radioactive iodine after an enormous amount of research and couldn't find any other alternative. My thyroid died its little death and I became underactive and I was put on levothyroxine was the first drug I was on. And truthfully, I felt terrible. I felt terrible, terrible, terrible. But I was confused. I didn't know a lot about thyroid disease then. And I thought that my thyroid had been taken care of and what I was feeling had to do with something else that was going on. So for Mm -hmm. a long time, I thought I had chronic fatigue syndrome. Mm -hmm. Long, long time. And then years passed of me trying various forms of levothyroxine. And a couple of times I tried a little bit of Cytomel with the levothyroxine and then Cytomel by itself. And that didn't work. I still felt terrible. With the T3, I felt very, very keyed up. Before, I always had this kind of feeling of hollowness, like something wasn't quite complete. And then when I was 53, I'm 61 now. I went on natural desiccated thyroid and on armor thyroid. And for the first time in my life, I was like, oh my God, this is what regular people feel like. I was thrilled beyond belief. And symptoms I'd had for years just disappeared. First of all, I was awake. That was a miracle. And then I'd had carpal tunnel in my arms for, you know, 15 years at that point. That disappeared basically overnight. And I just felt great. And then that sort of started to slide. I didn't stay at that sustained feeling of normal. Yes. Since that moment, you know, nine years ago, I have gone to more natural desiccated thyroid and then and then less natural desiccated thyroid and then adding T3 and then coming down in the T3. So I found that it's a constant dosage tweaking. There's never been a year where I could say that, wow, my thyroid dosage is perfect. Sheena Banks is a wife and mom in Alabama. Sheena was diagnosed as a teenager, but it was just the beginning of her two decades of round and round and up and down thyroid treatment. I actually started my thyroid adventures at 15. I started having small symptoms, just little things, terrible headaches here, sore throats there. It really jumped off when I had an episode where my throat was so sore that I could barely swallow. My stepmother took me to the doctor and that's when he explained that I had an overactive thyroid at the time. And I don't know what they started treating me with, but it just seemed as if the thyroid just grew overnight and it it just completely got out of hand. They sent me to a specialist and, you know, they tried different medicines, but I was on seven pills a day. They tried to control it and they couldn't. I ended up having to have a total thyroidectomy at 16. I was placed on Synthroid and, you know, me being a a young child, I thought the surgery would be the end all. Mm -hmm. No one told me that I would have to take medicine for the rest of my life. No one told me that. So when they told me that, I refused to take the medicine 
medicine, I'm sure it was about a month. I just didn't want to take it because I had been taking pills for a year at that time. They had to really explain to me that this is a matter of life and death. Yes. And that's when I started taking Synthroid. Yes. We ended up switching to level thyroxine. I've been on I had been on that for years and I got pregnant at in 2015, and um, a couple of years after 2015, I started having terrible depression. I was just sad. It was just a lot of things that was going on, but I knew something wasn't right mentally, and I just felt that the level of thyroxine wasn't working anymore, and I tried to explain that to my doctor. He wrote it off. One thing that is unique to thyroid patients is how often they have been on so many different thyroid medications, different brands, different generics, synthetic, natural thyroid, all in search of the elusive medication, combination, and dosage that will finally resolve their symptoms. Here's Ellie Rose Lovacetto, a management professional and yoga instructor in the Chicago area. Throughout my thyroid-lacking life, I have been on Synthroid levothyroxine of every shape, color, brand known to man. I've also had two different brands at the same time. I have so many bottles of them, every size and shape and color, that I could make a mosaic with all of them. Okay, yeah. repeatedly get told, take this one, take that one. You're high, you're low, you're fine. Continue. Ryan Litchfield is a thyroid and health advocate, and he blogs about health advocacy at ryansvoice.blog. Ryan has ridden the thyroid merry-go-round for several years. Back in around June of 2015, I was basically diagnosed with Graves' disease, and for a couple of years, they tried me on anti-thyroid medication. I ended up making the decision to have my full thyroid surgically removed. I had a total thyroidectomy, and after the total thyroidectomy, they ended up starting me on the level thyroxin, uh, the 175 micrograms, and this was the generic. I've had to have my thyroid medication consistently adjusted. I've been on the generic level thyroxine for a couple of years since the thyroidectomy. So there will be times where I'd be hypothyroid, and then there will be times where I'd be hyperthyroid. I would have days where either I'm losing weight or I'm gaining weight or I'm experiencing a lot of fatigue or then I'm getting really anxious and depressed. Mm-hmm. Um, Up and down, right? And, yep kind of like a yo-yo, kind of like going through those peaks and valleys and having some of the sleep problems. And I also had some trouble with attention and concentration at times, and it definitely interfered with work. There would be days where I would get so emotional that people would be questioning, why am I getting so emotional? And it's because of my thyroid condition. And there'd be times where I'd have to go to the doctor and say, you know, listen, I don't feel right. Can this get checked? Just recently... I met with my endocrinologist, and she saw the levels and the results from being on the generic level thyroxine for a couple of years. She definitely agreed with me that something wasn't right with being on the generic level thyroxine. As Ryan described, the unresolved fatigue is one complaint that comes up again and again. Ellen Smiley is a New York-based cancer, COVID, and thyroid survivor who had a similar experience. It got to the point where I would be sitting in a meeting at work and my boss would be poking me because I'd fallen asleep sitting in the meeting at the table. It really was a terrible situation. Brain fog and fatigue affecting our work lives is a common problem. Here's Wendy Knight again. 
I was having a lot of issues starting to happen again. And I, again, talked to my twin sister and she said she has issues with the fillers in generic medication. So they switched me to Synthroid, actual Synthroid instead of a generic. And again, that worked for a couple years. And then they started increasing because my numbers were again, going bad. And it wasn't that long with Synthroid, maybe a year or two. And then they started increasing my Synthroid. And then it just seemed like nothing was helping. This is my biggest issue is my head is constantly in a fog where I, I can't think straight. I feel like I'm always almost, for lack of a better example, I feel like I'm high a little, like I can't focus ever. I cannot get enough sleep so embarrassing. I fall asleep at work and I see patients all day long. So embarrassing when that happens. And my coworkers can see me dozing off. Uh And it's horrible. That It's a horrible feeling. And then I can't sleep at night. And I know that this is why, because I know how my body's reacting. There's so many things that it affects in me. One aspect of thyroid conditions is that, for the most part, they're invisible. Fatigue, depression, anxiety, brain fog, these are common symptoms, yet they're symptoms you can't really see, and they certainly don't show up on a blood test. This is perhaps one of the most enraging parts of thyroid disease, but far too many of us end up being called crazy, or we're told we are suffering from mental health problems. Donna Schillinger is a mother of two adult children and a hairstylist in the St. Louis area. And I did take matters into my own hands. You see doctors, they ask you questions, they key the information into their laptop, iPad, and I'm sure then it comes out what's best for that, prescribed for that patient. You know, I can't do this. They aren't listening to me. I don't think you can truly understand until you've gone through it. Even my husband was living with me for the last nine months, said, what do you expect to get out of this? And I said, no one understands. And my girlfriend's the same thing, looking at you, making you feel like you're crazy and you're making this up. They don't understand until you actually go through it. No one can. It's not just friends and family, it's far too often the medical professionals who just don't get it, as thyroid advocate Leslie Blumenberg explains. When you live a life of barely being able to get up in the morning, you have a totally different perspective on life. And that's the problem for so many patients is they feel like they're in this, you know, well, like the old madhouses where they used to put women when they had sure. problems, you know, sure. in this well where nobody gets it doctor doesn't get it, the nurse doesn't get it. Sometimes it's obvious that the doctors don't get it. Mard Slajewski is an assistant university instructor in communications, a mom of two, and grandmother to six. Marg's doctors were changing her dose almost weekly, it seemed. Well, this endocrinologist said that I needed to increase my dose. And I was put on 94 micrograms a week, which is basically, you know, the, the hundreds and 88s so many times a week. Okay. Then I was told to alternate my dose, and then I was told to take 100 a day. Well, after seven days of 100 a day, I woke up, my eyes swollen so bad, I could barely see, and my hands shaking. I thought I was going to die, basically, mm-hmm. and I said to her, there is something really bad going on here. She said, no, no, you're fine, you're fine, your labs, and I said, you explain to me what the labs mean. I was having CBCs, thyroid levels, everything done every four weeks for seven years. Mm-hmm. And then I said to her one day, I feel like somebody's got a vacuum to my body and they're just sucking my life away. 
Mm-hmm. I have no energy whatsoever. I am so tired. They told me it was all depressive illness and put me on antidepressant. I curled up in a ball and I couldn't move. So I went to uh, my GP and I said, I've had enough. And the endocrinologist got angry and started screaming at me on the phone, saying that if I didn't do what I was told, I was going to die. And I said, well, I guess I'm going to die then because right now I'm not living. Tara Floda is a mother of three studying for a master's in public health. She found out the hard way that even after surgery to remove her thyroid, some doctors still have no idea how profoundly the lack of this essential gland is and how it can affect you. About a week or 10 days after my surgery, I was at home. I was feeling faint, weak, frail, had some heart palpitations. I was home alone with my two-year-old son. I felt uncomfortable being home alone. And I knew on the discharge papers, you know, it said, if you have any of these symptoms, call the surgeon. And I had an appointment on the books with an endocrinologist, but I was considered a new patient to the practice. So when I called saying I don't feel well, they said, well, you're still considered a new patient, so we can't advise you. You need to go to the surgeon. So I called the surgeon, and I will share with you what he said because I know this is part of what we're all trying to accomplish here with thyroid advocacy. And when he picked up the phone, he said to me, is this attention-seeking behavior or is something actually wrong? Let that sink in. The surgeon took out an essential gland, and when his patient said she was not feeling well, asked her if it was attention-seeking behavior. You know, sometimes, to be honest, I wonder why some of these folks actually went into medicine in the first place. So, what's the solution? Step one is educate yourself. As I said earlier, if you are not informed about treatments, medication options, tests, different approaches and different doctors, you can't ask about them or choose them. Every single patient I've ever spoken to who advocates for their own thyroid care said that it starts with knowledge. Here's advocate Leslie Blumenberg. This is your life. You're trying to get back to being a productive person. Right. In fact, you might be productive now, but hey, maybe when you're not hypothyroid anymore, you'd be really productive. Not only will you get your life back, but you get your body back. In other words, nothing like aches all day long. And you can use your muscles, but your brain, it's our most important asset. And when I was severely hypothyroid, one day, I literally, I was writing something and I pondered how to spell the. Is it T-H-A? Is it T-H-E-E? I literally could not figure it out. I graduated third in my class in college. I should know how to spell things, right? Couldn't do anything, couldn't think. I literally doze off in front of the screen, you know, and it was, I am so amazed always by how a small amount of knowledge about something that pertains personally to you can make all the difference in the world. Maybe we're on information overload, but I love it personally. Tara Floda put it starkly when she asked an important question. If you don't educate yourself, what is the alternative? My hope was emboldened by my knowledge. So the more I read your newsletters, your books, Dr. Blanchard's books, the more I educated myself and read stories about other people who had gone years, decades, 
hypothyroid, but ultimately found a treatment that worked, I was able to just make the connection in my brain that that will happen for me too at some point. I don't know when, but at some point it will. Finding something in your brain that helps you feel motivated and hopeful so that you're not bogged down by the day-to-day and you give up. Mm-hmm. And really, to me, what was the alternative? I had a quality of life at some point prior to that surgery. So if I didn't advocate and continue to try to find a doctor who was willing to work with me, the alternative was I was going to accept that lower level of functioning forever. I couldn't live with that. I don't think anybody deserves to live with that. Whether you have a file cabinet or computer files or a notebook, research and keeping track of information is crucial. Leona is not the only patient I've spoken with who carries around a big binder full of thyroid information. Over the years, I just thought I'm just never going to be back to the pre-thyroid me. And Honestly, that depressed me more than anything, that even with medication, because that's what they say, oh, well, we're giving you thyroid medicine and your numbers are coming down and blah, 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 but I never felt better. And somewhere that actually, I started looking for information. I think it was having your blogs and your websites and your emails and stuff, but that was honestly the turning point for me because you were talking about adding Cytomel and you were were talking to all different kinds of physicians. And so I was getting a lot of information from you. I had a two-inch binder with all kinds of articles that I had printed out. Read what you can. Don't Mm -hmm. just take no for an answer. Find a physician that will partner with you. And if the standard treatment isn't working and getting you back to where you were, then look for other answers. I still think that all the information that you have provided is integral to every new person. I just think do your own research. I think you have to keep looking. You have to keep asking questions. Be your own best advocate. There are many books, articles, websites, webinars, newsletters, educational programs, and experts out there who will help you learn everything you need to know about your thyroid condition. You'll find some of my favorites listed in my show notes and at the website. But there's one resource I especially recommend. Please go and watch Maggie Hadley West's film, Sick to Death. I was honored to be interviewed for this documentary and served as a consultant for the film. Maggie is not only a talented filmmaker, but she's a passionate advocate. And Sick to Death is eye-opening. It's a must-watch for anyone struggling with thyroid diagnosis and treatment. So people can find my film at sick2death.com. There's a direct link to Vimeo. It's also on Gaia. So wherever you see Gaia films, Sick to Death is there. You know, it's funny. The thing that kicked me in the gut was the suffering because I thought for a long time that it was just me, that I was having this very isolated, alienated, sick experience all on my own. And when I realized that there were millions and millions of people just like me, 
that was catastrophic. And also the thing that compelled me to make the film, because if it had just been me, that would have been no big deal. I just used myself as a vehicle to get to what was really going on everywhere. So that was the first thing was the suffering. And then the, the anger, you know, there's so many people that are angry because they feel that they have not been able to reach the full potential because they don't feel good. They haven't been able to live the kind of lives that they wanted to live because of how they felt or how it impacted their ability to have children or just the energy to be in a relationship or, you know, not being able to make the distinction between what's me and what is a hormone imbalance. I know for myself, I thought that a lot of the symptoms I had were personality traits. You know, I mm -hmm. thought my having a high level of anxiety was just a part of who I was until I got on the right thyroid hormone. And then I was like, oh my God, the anxiety was just gone. Right. It wasn't me. That kind of thing can be very difficult or people that, you know, have a child and then are diagnosed with postpartum when really, you know, their thyroid hormones been thrown completely out of whack. And if there was a fix that was right in front of them that they weren't able to access for years and years and years. Those are the things that really, really struck me. And then, of course, coming to understand that the governing medical bodies are, of course, not on our side. They are there for their shareholders. That includes the medical bodies and the insurance companies. They don't really care about the well-being of humanity. You know, they don't really care about the human potential that is being squelched. And that is across the board with illnesses. To me, that is just so criminal and karmically wrong. If educating yourself is job one, I'd say that equally important is finding a doctor or healthcare provider who truly partners with you for your thyroid care. Unfortunately, it's sometimes easier said than done, as Ellie Rose Lovisato describes. I have, over the years, been encouraged in reading numerous articles on thyroid disease to go and look for someone that actually is up to date, current with the goings on in the medical field for thyroid patients. And I've seen men, I've seen women, I've seen DOs, I've seen MDs, I've seen endos, and I get to a point where I tell them, I still don't feel right. I feel puffy. I'm tired. I'm either hot or cold. My skin is dry and itchy. I have had Many, many different doctors tell me, well, we'll just run a TSH test and you'll be fine. And I always go back to my follow-up appointments with these people dreading the you'll be fine or you are fine. You know, there's no, no problems there. You're fine. So it's an ongoing struggle to find someone that will actually believe you and not refer you to a psychiatrist or a psychologist because you're so frustrated. I'm five foot two, I'm 208 pounds, and I could drink water and eat boiled chicken for a year and not lose five pounds. So something is definitely up in the world of the lack of having a thyroid. It's not easy to find the right doctor for your thyroid care, but don't overlook one great resource that's right there, your friends and family. Ask around, as Sheena Banks did. After the doctor wrote me off, I, I literally felt so defeated. 
there was a coworker of mine. We would always talk about our thyroid issues because she also suffers from thyroid issues. I just decided to just tell her everything, just everything that I was dealing with, and she said, listen, you need to switch doctors. She recommended her doctor, and I made the call immediately. I made the call right away, and that was the best decision I ever made. And I spoke with my doctor and her nurse practitioner, and I was literally able to have a conversation with them. I felt as though I was talking to my friends. They wanted to listen to me. In your search for the right medical care, don't be afraid to doctor hop or turn to new telemedicine options, as Leona reminds us. Honestly, you have reiterated over and over again about sticking out our necks and sticking up for yourself and finding a physician. You know, nobody likes to doctor hop. That's the other thing because then kind of get labeled and whatnot. And you know what? And thankfully, my physician decided he's just going to put up with me. I would continue to go with him because it's kind of like, you know, if you've ever gone for professional counseling and you decide you don't really like the counselor, you don't really want to switch. You're giving them the benefit of the doubt as long as you can because you don't want to switch. You don't want to start over. But in this instance, it's just so important to get back back on track. And I didn't think I ever would, honestly. Mm -hmm. I think it's honestly from uh, you repeatedly saying, and the top docs, that's the other thing I think that started me in that direction. I thought, well, is there somebody near me that I could go see that I, Mm -hmm. I would have even traveled probably a couple of hours to see someone. And now you can do telemedicine. That's the other thing. I feel like today's patients, it's entirely possible to do telemedicine. I brought up the example of a plumber earlier, and I want to remind you again here. If a plumber can't fix your clogged toilet, what do you do? You cut the plumber loose, and you find one who can fix the toilet, right? It's the same for doctors. Here's Jenny Mills, a wife, mom, and actress in the Midwest. I think you know it's time to cut a doctor loose when you don't feel like you're being listened to, and when you feel like you almost have to be too much of your own advocate. It's always important to be your own advocate, to know your own health, to know what does and doesn't work for you. And as much as people say don't do it, to go to Dr. Google and look up information, look up things for yourself. Maggie Hadley West also emphasizes how important it is to find a doctor who truly listens. I cut a doctor loose when they stop listening to me. When they start treating me as if I am just every other patient, then it's time for me to go. If they are listening to me and integrating what I'm saying into whatever the protocol is, that's when I stay. And I have been working with the same doctor now for a few years. She happens to be a woman and she is not brilliant, but what she is is consistent, kind, she listens, and she tries to help me work through things. That is paramount. It's not all on them. It's also on us. So I bring things to my doctor as well as expecting her to bring things to me. How do you know you found the right doctor for you? I agree with Tara Flota when she described how a doctor will make you feel from the moment you start talking with him or her. When you are in front of a doctor and you are explaining your symptoms and your story, when you get the feeling from them where you do not have to convince them of the validity of your symptoms, that starts to tell you that that doctor is actually listening and interested in helping you. 
And I've had that experience. You know, I started going into doctor's offices prepared. I'd be in the shower and I would be practicing what I was going to say. And sometimes I'd have my husband come with me because I thought, well, if there's a man sitting with me, they'll listen to me more closely. Mm -hmm. And I tried all these different strategies. And then ultimately, when I finally sat in front of someone like Dr. Blanchard or Dr. Lee, it was so refreshing when they just expressed empathy and understanding. And when you don't have to convince them that there's a problem that needs treatment, then that's the right type of doctor to start working with. On the other hand, when you're feeling dismissed, condescended, gaslit, you know when it's happening because you feel shut down and you feel intimidated to continue speaking and you feel the fool for trying to tell them that you have symptoms that maybe they don't really exist, maybe they are in your head and you start questioning yourself, then that is not the right physician for you because that will never be a functioning, productive relationship. Are you sensing a theme here? Good doctors listen. It's as simple as that. Good doctors listen. And they give you the benefit of the doubt. If you have to work at convincing a doctor that you genuinely don't feel well, well, it's time to move on. So you've educated yourself and you've found or you're actively looking for a great healthcare provider. What's next? Well, this is where advocacy comes in. Back in the 90s, I launched my thyroid newsletter and I named it Sticking Out Our Necks. Sure, the neck thing is a play on words and all, but it was also a description of what it takes to feel and live well with thyroid disease. In most cases, you're going to have to stick out your neck and stick up for yourself to get the thyroid care you need and deserve. You've heard many examples of patients advocating for themselves already in this episode. Here, Jenny Mills explains it well. I wish someone had told me kind of just how much you have to be your own advocate because when it happened to me, I was kind of shocked that I had to be the one to go in and say, no, no, this isn't right. And that I had to keep track of my blood reports. I printed them out. I had a binder full of my blood reports so that I could get my newest one and I could look back over them and notice, hey, wait a minute. That went, that went up or that went down and do a little bit of my own research and say, okay, well, it's fine that it did that. Or wait a minute, it shouldn't really be doing that if my things are optimally balanced here. Maybe I should ask my doctor about that. And I kind of had to make a pest of myself and ask a lot of questions. And sometimes my doctor was like, yeah, no, that's fine. Don't worry about it. And sometimes they said, hmm, well, we'll keep an eye on that. That's true. It shouldn't really be doing that. We'll check again in a month. And I don't know if I would have gotten that result had I not been a pest and asking all these questions. But it really kind of shocked me how much I had to do that. And you have to do it less when you have a really good doctor. And they are out there. They're hard to find, but they Mm -hmm. are out there. And if you have the ability to, if your insurance allows you, if you go to a doctor and you really don't feel listened to, or you ask questions and you feel like you're bothering them, they probably aren't the right doctor for you. And keep looking. And it's okay to doctor shop. It's perfectly okay because you need to find that doctor that you feel comfortable with. You need to find that doctor that you feel doesn't care that you ask all sorts of questions and recognizes the fact that you're taking an interest in your own health and you're taking an interest in understanding how your issue and your medications all work together and realizing that 
you're going to be the first person to know when something's not right. It's not going to be your doctor, and it may not even be your blood report. You're going to feel it, and it may be slow, it may be slight, but you got to take note of how you're feeling and bring that up to your doctor and don't be afraid to voice everything that you're feeling and things that you're noticing because it may just be the key to finding what's going to work the best for you. Another thing to remember, advocacy does not have a finish date. It's something you need to do consistently when you have a chronic health condition, as Sheena Banks explains. I would say to advocate for yourself. That's what I would say because you know how you feel. Don't let a doctor tell you how you feel or you should feel this way. You know how you feel. You've lived in your body for however long you've been here. You know when something different is happening. And you stand up for yourself because I didn't. I really didn't at first. But I felt defeated until I spoke with someone and she helped bring that out of me. But this is what I'm saying to you. Advocate for yourself. If you know something is not right or something is different, talk to someone. And if your doctor is not listening, find a doctor who will listen. There are doctors out there who will listen to you. And if you have to go from doctor to doctor until you find someone who will listen to you, that's what you'll have to do. Even though I've been doing this for years, I still have to go back for adjustments. And I don't know everything, you know. So I Mm -hmm. still have to advocate for myself when I go. And I have to be firm and say, hey, no, this is different. I know this is different. And you have to really stand on that. And don't just accept someone saying, no, everything is normal. You should be fine. This is what you need to do here. You can maybe try those things, but if you know that something is different within you, advocate for yourself. It's not only important to understand your condition and advocate for yourself, but you need to know yourself. Ryan Litchfield explains it so well. It really comes down to knowing yourself. You got to know your body. You got to know what are you thinking? You know, what are you feeling? What's going on? You know, are you, do you feel off? It's basically you're your own advocate. You're going to know when you're tired. You're going to know when you're anxious or depressed. Knowing when you might not have the concentration or the attention. Like, you just know when you're off. If I were to put a key emphasis on that one really critical thing, it would definitely be knowing yourself. What does success look like as a thyroid patient? To me, success means that you're generally feeling and living well, and if you don't, you're on a clear path to get there with the right support. You understand your condition, your tests, and your treatment. You have productive partnerships with your healthcare providers, and they listen to you and work with you. You've found or are working on finding the right dose of the right medication, whatever medication that may be, to best resolve your symptoms safely. You stay up to date and you advocate for yourself. And you never give up hope. It took time, but here is Wendy Knight's success story. Her doctor had recommended that she try Tyrosint, and after the prices came down and she was able to afford it, she decided to try it. My primary care tried to get me to switch to Tyrosint, and I thought, okay, I'm just doing it. I have to do this and try it. So about two weeks in, I called my doctor and I said, it's not working. And he said, just please stick with it. Give it a chance give it more than two weeks. And within two more weeks, it was the clearest. I can't even tell you the last time I felt like the brain fog was completely gone. 
and I wasn't tired when I got home. I went for four to seven mile walks every day. I had so much energy. I felt normal, for lack of a better word. I felt mm-hmm. normal. And I mm-hmm. haven't felt that in 15 years. Ellen Smiley made a switch from Cytomel, synthetic T3, to Armor Natural, desiccated thyroid. Then I took myself off the Cytomel. Okay. And I still had some of my Armor tablets left in the prescription bottle. So mm-hmm. I went back on to the Armor using what I had left. And I would say that it was between 36 and 48 hours. I felt a dramatic difference in the way I felt. I mean, just everything started to feel like it was functioning normally again. And I began to feel like I wasn't going to die, Mm -hmm. which I had been feeling previously. Sometimes success comes from changing just one thing, as Leslie Blumenberg explains. My story of being an advocate and an educator starts about 25 years ago. I think around the time when you started your first forum. Yeah, the early 90s. Yeah. I was looking up all sorts of things. Ben gave me his secondhand computer. And I looked at him. I said, what in the world am I going to do with this machine? And it's like this many years later, I am still doing it. I searched. But I kept seeing these little things. In the meantime, I was in perimenopause. Nobody was helping with anything, so I saw all this stuff about soy. And so for two years, I made myself sicker and sicker and sicker eating soy, thinking I was doing this wonderful thing for myself. Mm-hmm. Until 1999, it was spring 1999, when I saw your article, The Dangers of Soy for Thyroid Patients. <laughs> I read that article and threw it all in the trash within a month. My TSH went from the top of the range to the bottom. Yeah. And my T4 went from the bottom of the range to the top. My doctor couldn't believe what happened. She thought I lost all that weight because maybe I had cancer or something, you know. Mm -hmm. And she couldn't believe how my whole self, my whole personality changed. So Leslie cut out soy and that one change made all the difference for her. Janice Burnham, too, made one change and that had a dramatic impact. So the other thing that I found out in the 90s, and this was a big game changer for me, I started taking the Synthroid at night. I've probably been doing that for about 20 years, and I really really feel much better taking it at night, and I would never go back to taking it in the morning. (laughs) Ginny Mahar struggled with unresolved symptoms after years of treatment, but once she got on track, the good news is success came pretty quickly. You want to trust what your doctor tells you, and it was the, this is the standard of care, as we know. But I hit rock bottom after four years and kind of took the reins and started doing my own research and realized, oh, my gosh, I need a complete thyroid panel, and I, I think I need a new doctor. And so that really changed things for me. So that was about five years ago. And when I made that decision to take the reins, get a new doctor, get the complete thyroid panel, look at optimizing my medication, look at changing my lifestyle, look at really addressing this issue, it was really just a matter of months before I had my life and energy back, which was absolutely life-changing for me after four years of feeling horrible. In the end, success requires not just education, but faith and hope, as Tara Floda explains. You have to have a little bit of faith and yes. willingness to try something new. Sometimes it feels like you're jumping off a diving board with blinders on. But I thought, well, I can't sustain this way of living, so I'll try it. And it took a few months 
but it worked. So finally, after eight years, we finally found a medication combination and a dose that works for me consistently, and I've been on the same dose and medication for 13 months for the first time since my surgery in 2011. I always held out hope. And the hope is what I feel got me and gets people through the day-to-day frustration. Because if you viscerally believe that at some point you will find your answer, your medication, your combination of medications that are actually therapeutic and bring you your quality of life back, if you have that hope and belief, then you will have the fortitude to keep going until you reach that point. So I'm here to tell you that you will find your answers. You will find the treatment that will bring back your quality of life. You will feel well and live well with your thyroid condition. But you need to take the dive, the dive into education, empowerment, and advocacy, like today's guests. Speaking of my guests, I want to thank these passionate, committed patients who spoke to me for this episode. Each one of them, in her or his own way, is a hero out there fighting the good fight to live and feel well. I am so grateful that they generously shared their time and experiences to help us all. I hope you join me as we continue to explore thyroid disease. You can subscribe to the Thyroid Deep Dive podcast. You'll find it at your favorite podcast apps and platforms and at the website, www.thyrooddeepdive.com. More information, a complete transcript of this episode, and helpful resources and links are all available at the website, thyrooddeepdive.com. This is Mary Showman, and I want to thank you for listening to the Thyroid Deep Dive. Today and every day, may you feel well and live well.